Listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for San Andreas. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here to discuss San Andreas with Christian McCrawlski. Uh, hold on, let me look in my book. I'm also derisively known as Snobrowski. And with our San Andreas tagline, we have Kelly Wand. Dwayne Johnson's fault. Dwayne Johnson's fault. Are there follow-ups? Dwayne Johnson's. Yeah. Uh, the only other one I have is uh, I have a really good earthquake detector. It's called the Ground. All right, I like that. Not much of a tagline, more like a motto. Maybe. Shut up, <laughs> Kelly. One, do you have an IMDb synopsis for us before we talk about San Andreas? Yes. What is it? Give it to us, and then uh, Dingus and I are going to try to guess the movie. Yeah, you have to name it to make it stop. Right. Since that was so fun last week. Listen to you guys squirm trying to remember the name of that Eddie Murphy movie. Construction engineer Stuart Graff. Ooh. No guesses. Is estranged from his jealous... Graff? His name is Stuart Graff? Yeah, he's construction engineer Stuart Graff. He has four names. That's awesome. Stuart Graff is his occupation, though. Is estranged from his jealously possessive wife... Remy <laughs> and has an affair with Denise Marshall the widow of a co-worker meanwhile that's enough on that front Remy tries to persuade her father Sam Royce who is Stuart's employer to use his influence to stop Stuart from seeing Denise rogue policeman Lou Slade is suspended from the LAPD for having punched an obtuse officer from another jurisdiction. Sapland Tales? Should have been into another jurisdiction. Embittered, Slade contemplates quitting the police force. Jody, a perverted grocery store manager, lusts after Rosa Amici, sister of Sal, the assistant to Miles Quaid, an aspiring daredevil motorcyclist. The lives of all oh, these earthquake. people. Earthquake. Right. Yeah. The lives of all these people are devastated. What it is? No, earthquake. no. You said you stop when I when I guess it. That was the last sentence, though. So I was oh. trying to. Yeah, but she I won. got it. I got it before you said the word earthquake, though. Dingus won by zoning out and not caring yeah. anymore. Dingus doesn't know earthquake. He's never <laughs> seen the original earthquake. Yeah. But if he had known, he still wouldn't have said. I don't think. Yeah. So I. I I'll show them all. There aren't many movies with uh, like stunt motorcyclists. And perverted grocery store managers. Don't remember and any of that. Denise Marshall. Don't remember that. Don't remember anyone named Stuart Graff or whatever. I just Tom, I don't remember a lot of things. Yeah. And I mainly remember. But you know what I do remember? What, what do you What do you remember, Kelly Wand? San Andreas. Well, all right. Well, Dingus, why don't you tell the listeners without spoiling That's anything it. yet a little bit about San Andreas? All right. Well, um, this week we saw San Andreas. A 2015 American 3D disaster action drama movie. Not for me, sister. Oh, was it American? For, for me, brother. Um, about um, yeah. So, so actually, there is some debate here, Dingus. It's not 3D for me, and it wasn't American for Kelly Wand, who saw it in German. Yeah. So, how weird. It's so. I don't know. It's so subjective. 
Earthquake and Z. All right. For, uh, for, for me, it was about uh, being sure to wear flowers in your hair. If you're, you know. What about the uh, movie? It was directed by Brad Payton hmm. and written by Carlton Cuse. Oh, my God. Dennis, do you know who Carlton Cuse is, by the way? I do. I do. Yeah, so do, do Kelly Wand and I do. We'll be talking about Carlton Cuse in a moment. All right, carry on, Dingus. Sorry. Rich Man's Lindelof. <laughs> Jacuz. That's how bad uh, Lindelof. Uh, with story credits for Andre Fabrizio and Jeremy Pasmore. It stars Dwayne Johnson, Alexandria Daddario. Uh, stupid name, but damn, bitch. Fuck that. Oh, my God. Art Parkinson and Hugo Johnston Burt. That Hugo chick was born to be a chick in an earthquake movie. Johnston Dash Burt. Uh, San Andreas is rated PG 13 for intense disaster action and mayhem throughout. And brief, strong language. Oh wait, there wasn't an F bomb. Was there an F bomb, Dingus? Is that? Or there, there I would know. Oh, there was an S an S bomb. There was early on an S bomb. I see. Uh, there was an F bomb. I what? can't tell you off the top of my head when it was. But Are yeah. you sure? Really? S bomb's not even yep. profanity anymore. I don't think there. I don't remember an F bomb. But okay. Um, Fucking earthquake! Move. You would think, yeah. Did you say? No, that's not what it was. Uh, there's oh, an S bomb in the early uh, rescue in the first helicopter scene. I noticed they they use that. They got that pretty quickly, but I didn't catch an F-bomb. There might have been, and I was just zoning out. So. Uh, I think I it know. was – the 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 F-bomb is um, if – if uh, okay, you, you left my daughter, and if you're not dead, then oh, I – Oh, right, right, right. Very good. Carla Gugino. Gugino. Got it. Yeah. Right. The ultimate disaster movie is an exploding F-bomb. Huh. Okay. So, so basically it's so Carly – Carly Gugino being a, uh, a tiger mom. And uh, top we, in City. Have we uh, on this podcast yet? I know this is uh, a lot of a lot of folks haven't really come to a conclusion on this, but on this podcast, have we come to a conclusion about how to pronounce her last name? Gugino. Gugino. So it sounds <laughs> like the answer is no. Okay. Carla. Um. On Rotten Tomatoes, um, San Andreas is at 48% positive reviews. <laughs> On Metacritic, the average rating from various reviews is uh, 43. At the box oh. office, however, San Andreas is number one for its opening weekend. Oh. Not only so is it at number one, it far exceeded studio estimates. Uh, <laughs> studios figuring it would be a, a cool $40 million. Uh, rock movies tend to open around $30 million. Uh, but they figured with enough of a promotional push, this could hit $40 million. That's what they were counting on. But nope, they were wrong. San Andreas made $55 million in its opening weekend. Whoa! A huge coup for The Rock, who, after Hercules, um, there was some doubt that maybe he didn't carry a movie, but after San Andreas, I think that doubt has been removed. It means Straight. more than Furry Road. He's not built to carry things. Look at him. Well, he can carry a a, a tentpole movie, Kelly Wand. He can yeah, carry the tentpole. Carry. What if he played Carrie and he was victimized in high school? And he uh, out, but he used telekinesis even though he could have beaten them up. One of the sort of link bait stories that's floating around after the San Andreas weekend is um, uh, Dwayne Johnson and his – I don't know if it's a production company or just producers he works with. I don't think he has a production company. Um, but he's, he's pushing for a – Big Trouble in Little China remake. 
uh, with him hmm. as Jack Burton. Uh, that's a, I can kind of visualize that, sure. actually. Yeah, latter-day Big Trouble. I mean, Big Trouble in Little China is such an 80s uh, artifact. I mean, it's. I think it holds up beautifully, but it's so... It's so much about the 80s. You, you, I don't think you necessarily... I think a... Absolutely um, not. Thank you, Kelly Wand. Um, <clears throat> Kelly Wand, can I ask you a serious question? What do you say when it's Miller time? <laughs> See, you're still Wait. enough book for that exchange. Fair you enough. know what I say. Martha Marcy... Miller time. Mm, yeah, you've fudged the name of Martha Marcy May Marlene and crucial dialogue from Big Trouble in Little China, which has, as we all know from our three by three, the best meet cute ever subjected ever subjected to film. Yeah, that's true. A close second it's... to the meet cute in um, or no, barely above the meet cute in San Andreas. By the way, how about that meet cute? What about the meet cute in It Follows? What was the meat cute in It Follows? Although I do like yeah. thinking of It Follows as a meat cute. Yeah. Yeah. The two main characters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kelly Wand, I would like you to give us a San Andreas synopsis. I don't know. Oh, uh, you don't even try anymore. Well, what can don't you do with try. it? A synopsis. Andreopsis. Okay, good. Andreopsis. Wait, wait. Do yours again. That last one. Was a synopsis. Andreopsis. Because Samson and The Rock. No. Oh. <laughs> That's not that. Good. Just throwing out, throwing out syllables to try to placate you. San Andreopsis. Now, do you need to, do you need to, like, is this part of this, the Opsis, what language you saw the movie in, or do you need to uh, tell us that first? San Andreopsis. Okay. Note, based on the German dubbed version. <laughs> Did it even have English subtitles? Um, no, but it had German ones when it showed the English texts. Because he didn't want the Germans to get confused by that. So you missed all of Paul Giamatti's exposition and science talk. I heard it in German, and I thought I feel totally comfortable with that. Kevin, you don't know what a swarm event is in this case. <laughs> I do. I just know what it is in German. <laughs> I love that line. If I could remember. That swarm event line is so great. Swarm event is right up there with Dennis Quaid's line about critical desalination in... Um, it's the Roland Emmerich movie that has critical desalination. Is it 2012 uh, or the day, day after, after tomorrow? tomorrow? Oh, yeah, day after tomorrow, yes. Oh, I love that desalination. All but titles Swarm event. Time. The Swarm event is right up there. Swarm right? event is great because it's explaining why. So as I've said before, there's a, there's a movie called The Reef where a bunch of people fall in the water, and there's a great white shark in the water with them. The movie should be over in five minutes. You know, a, an earthquake movie is kind of like that. How are you going to make an earthquake movie go longer than five minutes? Um, and, right. And here, it's because of a swarm event. Which Paul Giamatti explains, but Kelly Wan, because you don't know German, you probably missed that crucial bit of exposition. He's He's saying the tectonic plates are swarming. You know, you'll have to see the movie in English to understand. No, I can't do it it Um, justice. Wait, all the Roland Emmerich movies are time-based titles except Stargate, although that goes through time and space. Um, this was, I noticed, oh no, Toby Emmerich is a producer on this. Is he related to Roland Emmerich? He's gotta be. They're, they're Emmerichs, right? Yeah, they stick together. Yeah, so this was also an Emmerich movie. Like uh, flies on shit. Alright, well, Kelly Wand, why don't you, now that we've had an S-bomb, there's our PG-13 rating. Uh, Kelly Wand, why don't you give us the San Andreopsis? Roland Emmerich is the Alec Baldwin of the Emmerich brothers. Which one is Toby Emmerich? San Andreopsis. No, based on the German dubbed version. 
Um, so maybe feel free to mention something if I, I say it that in English it was good because I won't know. Okay. Fascinating wand. A blonde chick's driving by a cliff, so she decides to text. Her text says, Hey, Goobler, give me the deets on you and Shank on the squirrel trap. Did you fart inside him or puss out again like on Christmas morning? A text bubbles all. You're about to drive into a crevice. There's probably a helicopter in the area, though, so you may as well take a nap. In a helicopter, a woman character with a microphone's all. This is whatever my name is for the German-language Southern California news. For some reason, I'm in the cargo bay of a helicopter being piloted by television's Dwayne Johnson. Although Harrison Ford is both a pilot in real life and whose movies outgross Johnson's to an embarrassing degree. Why are you, call- Dwayne- why are you saying television? Dwayne Johnson has never belonged to television. Why are you saying that? That makes no sense, Kelly Wand. Well... In German, they I guess that's how they understand Television's him. Dwayne Johnson. I beg your pardon. All right, sorry, carry on. He's never done television like me. Is that what you're going to say? Uh, actually, that is true. He has not, but uh, to his credit. Yeah. He skipped that. Skipped that stuff. He went stuff. straight to wrestling. Dwayne's all. I never reached that level of, of my career as an actor. And the, rap. The, the pro wrestling. Wrestling and rap in the, at the same time. No one else has done that. I know, right? Dwayne's all. Hi, kids at home. Remember, piloting is dangerous, so always bring along a female journalist. Dwayne, what's the occupation of your character in this movie? Uh, I think I'm a fireman and ex-husband, but we prefer the term dreamers. Although right now I'm on traffic detail. Dwayne, could you please tell our viewers exactly how you're able to fight fires by helicopter? That's a good question, actually, but I'm afraid I wasn't listening. Right now, most of my attention span is focused on looking for cars that have fallen exactly halfway down this crevice. Bingo! He dives abruptly and hovers near the texting blonde lady's Buick. He borrows the news lady's bullhorn and goes, Ma'am, you're not allowed to park here. He flies off and leaves. (laughs) He lands in his driveway and goes into his house. He goes into his daughter's bedroom and rifles through all her belongings till he finds a nothing-shaped locket with a bathroom key glued to it. He's all score... He goes into his living room and opens envelopes until something inside says, Divorce papers, <laughs> not final till end of movie, in the event of Mr. Fantastic's death wearing one shoe. His phone rings. He's all, Johnston residence. His wife's all, Hey, it's me. I mailed you some divorce papers. Yeah, guess I'll just fuck them now. Same old Dwayne. Hey, can you come up to San Francisco to my new husband's house? I forgot to bring my bicycle up here. I think it's in the garage or shower. Yes, actually, I was going to come up there anyway because I had something interesting to tell you. Oh, can't you just tell me now? He hangs up. He finds some bikes in his neighbor's yard and slings them into the flatbed of his 4x4. Then he puts the truck in his helicopter and flies it to Burbank, catches a plane San Fran. Meanwhile, Hoover Dam breaks. Paul Giamatti's on top of it at the time. He's a scientist, so he panics and crouches. <laughs> that came across in German. His sidekick's an Asian guy with a nail in his foot. The Asian kidnaps a little girl, then repents of his actions and throws her at Paul Giamatti. Then the dam breaks some more. Isn't that what happened? Um, Pretty much, yeah. I mean, yeah, in I German just, and English. I'm, my German's a little iffy, but that's what I... The action scenes are at least easy to follow. Meanwhile, Dwayne Johnson drives into San Francisco. He finds a house with his wife in it and enters. The wife's all, 
Dwayne, I believe you know Mr. Fantastic. This is my daughter by a third suitor not shown based on her lack of resemblance to any of us. Mr. Fantastic shakes the daughter's hand by stretching his arm super far. Tom, they're in the same room, but he shook hands with her. Dwayne Zoll, wife character. I came here to tell you that I received the divorce papers. Uh, you told me that already on the phone. And also that I forgot the bikes. He turns and walks out. Mr. Fantastic Zoll, Dwayne! Dwayne turns. His expression's the same as usual. Mr. Fantastic Zoll, I think I own the crevice that blonde girl texted down into. Dwayne turns and eventually leaves. As he opens the door to his helicopter, his wife runs out. She's all, Dwayne! Dwayne turns. His expression's the same as usual. She doesn't say anything. He turns and leaves. After a few minutes, the daughter comes out on the porch. She's all, hey, is dad still here? I wanted to say his name. The music's all, many will have to die to unite this stupid family. I think I fucked up the word unite there, Tom. Use your imagination. <laughs> In her spare time, the Rock's wife slash ex-wife hosts a TV show called Seismology Interviews. One day she's all, and we're back. It's I'm me. Uh, tonight's guest is Paul Giamatti. Don't clap. He's already out here. He's all, thanks, Tina. Karen, Paul. Professor Giamatti, why isn't seismology a word? The audience claps. One housewife fires a gun at the ceiling. He's all, oh, it measures earthquakes? And which planets can be affected by an earthquake? Actually, Tina, I have an urgent message for anyone living in either L.A. or San Francisco and parts of Bakersfield. So I went up because it's Giamatti, Tom. That's good. That was a good Giamatti, Kelly Wand. I have an urgent message for anyone living in L.A. or San Francisco. I could really use a new intern. If you're Asian, have a spike through your foot, and have always dreamed of performing unpaid work on collapsing dams, please send photos to me, Paul Giamatti, at the address I'm thinking of right now. Also, I think I broke the Hoover Dam. Here's a map of nothing. Thanks, and that's our show. Meanwhile, in San Francisco airport, a British blonde man spills coffee on his shirt. His adopted grandson's all, Doll, you bloody ponce, you spilled trophy on your knickers, you bleeder. Dwayne Johnson's daughter sits down on another coffee stand across from them and goes, I find the older one of your guys' momentary lapse in motor skills attractive, but I'd rather make your pants wet. Mr. Fantastic shows up. He wags his long finger at Dwayne Johnson's daughter and goes, Tammy Joe, I thought I told you to take a nap on the luggage carousel. She rolls her eyes and goes, this is my stepfather. He's only British in RL. But the coffee twins have left to board their plane. Above their heads on a TV screen, Paul Giamatti's all, People, once the big one happens, your only hope of survival will be standing in a doorway. So I've requested the National Guard build doorways everywhere by using the wood from pre-existing doorways. Also, looking at the earthquake directly is very dangerous. Instead, hold up a piece of cardboard like this and watch it shadow until you lose interest. Let's practice. Everyone at home, pretend my face is an earthquake. Now go buy some cardboard. I'll wait here. I lean over to the Richter scale sitting beside me and go, This morning a sign on the side of a Hamburg bus told me to fart Schwartz. The scale's all 1.2. An earthquake happens. In a parking structure, Mr. Fantastic's all, You girls stay here where it's safe. I'll go get help. They're all, wait, leave your shoe here just in case one of ours breaks. I've been sawing through mine here for 20 minutes. He's all, okay, here. Then he runs outside to help people. Some water chases a bunch of people up Lombard Street. Mr. Fantastic sees a guy holding a wallet with his hands. 
He's all, that wall could give way any second. Here, let me help you. Valiantly, he escorts the man to safety and caresses the wall. The guy's all, I'm so thirsty. He finds some water and leaves. I lean over to the fault line running through the seat beside me and go, In the comics, Mr. Fantastic's body's a condom, huh? Meanwhile, another flood ruins the L.A. Zoo. Everyone yells for help. Dwayne Johnson flies overhead in a helicopter and goes, Hang on. There's not enough room in his helicopter for people, so he flies into the snake exhibit and grabs a bunch of water moccasins. He tells them, hang on again, then flies them across town. A bunch of people yell for help from their roofs. They cheer as the rock descends closer. Then they stop cheering as he dumps all the water moccasins on the water. He's all, I'm going to go look for a drugstore. They might have aspirin. I'll see if they have anything for you guys also. As the water moccasins converge slithering on the drowning families, the rock's bullhorn rings. He's all, Johnson here. This better be good, whatever my daughter's name is. Daddy's really busy right now. Daddy, I'm stuck in a parking structure. Oh, never mind. British guy's saving us. I guess he followed us in here in the dark for some reason. He's got coffee on him. She hangs up. The rock's all, <laughs> parking structure? He clicks his bullhorn to the offsetting, raises it to his scowling lips, glares at the earth, and whispers, You just made this personal, lady. Then he gives it the finger, although the drowning families being eaten by snakes think his gestures directed at them. On TV, Paul Giamatti's all, everyone push and CG your way to safety. Wyoming should be all right for a few minutes till that volcano erupts. Uh, I should have mentioned that, too, I guess. Anyway, try to avoid touching or falling into the earth and especially driving into bottomless crevices without a police escort. Back in L.A., Dwayne Johnson flies his helicopter around a bunch of toppling skyscrapers until he finds one with his wife on it. He raises his bullhorn and goes, jump. She's all, can't you fly a little closer or lower that cable? Also, turn your bullhorn on, fool. He lowers her a crumpled note on the cable. She unfolds it and reads, bullhorn broken, I think. Can't hear you through it. Do you still have the warranty by any chance? She rolls her eyes. He gives a thumbs up, then starts to leave. As the cable recedes away, she's all, what the fuck? Wait. She backs up and runs in slow motion and grabs onto the helicopter cable as the building does nothing beneath her. The mob of wounded medical personnel in the street below cheer on as another building falls on them. Music plays. Dwayne Johnson looks down at the wife hanging from his cable, raises his bullhorn and says, Cool jump! But as he's saying it, it slips out of his hand and hits her on the head on its way down. She shakes blood out of her eyes, squints up at him and goes, Hey, Dwayne, about the divorce... I still think we should... She explodes. Meanwhile, in San Francisco, as a tidal wave approaches, an old couple holds hands and kisses. Nearby, their spouses watch gloomily. One's all, what the fuck, Gladys? Dwayne crashes his helicopter into a boat, then drives the boat to a building with his daughter in it. <laughs> Through the window, she's all, Dad, I came down here to say hi to you, but I forgot I can't breathe water. He's all, hang on. He stares at her for a bit. A few floors up, the British dude's all, Hey, where's me love interest? I forgot. The younger British kid shrugs and explodes. Meanwhile, far below, the daughter gets out a pen, writes stuff on a notepad, then holds it up to the glass. The rocks all, tell mom. She tearfully erases and writes some more. That I... She tearfully erases and writes. Said. She tearfully erases and writes some more. That I... She tearfully erases and writes some more. Am drowning. Oh, uh, that's awesome, sweetie. But the water line's only up to your ankles. You can just tell me. You don't need to write it. <laughs> she tearfully erases and writes some more. Daddy, I love ye. She tearfully erases and writes some more. 
Yanni's early albums, although love is probably too strong. <laughs> the mom character shows up in a speedboat. She smirks and goes, someone call for it. She rams the boat, prow first, Ellen Brody style, into the glass. <laughs> and explodes. <laughs> See, there's two Jaws the Revenge jokes. Yeah. Dwayne Johnson, so far. Dwayne Johnson rents another boat and drives with his <laughs> so daughter. Out far. So <laughs> the daughter's all, yay, we did it. We outsmarted tectonics. Dwayne looks grimly at Alcatraz as they putter past its defaced grayness. He stifles a tear. He's all, afraid that place will never incarcerate anyone ever again. Hopefully Chino's still standing. Twin explosions from the backseat as the British dude and his grandson materialize. One of them wipes makeup off his brow and goes, that was close. Dwayne's all, hang on, and keeps driving the boat. They all celebrate by smiling and having a picnic on top of a mass grave. Dwayne Johnson looks at an ambulance and goes, It's too bad. People would practice safety instead of being safe. Maybe some of this would have happened still. But we can all make a difference. A newspaper's all, Dwayne Johnson fails to save $50 million except financially. The end. All right. Dingus, you go first. What would you say to someone about Dwayne Johnson's San Andreas? <laughs> about it what did you say about it I feel I don't know what to tell you but I, geez, I love this thing I'm sorry I feel like a total idiot and I know but I love I totally love this movie wow Kelly Wan did you expect that mm, he's making me like it all of a sudden <laughs> it sounds really I, sincere I can't I can't help it I I there's so much wrong with it, but God, I fucking love this thing. Sorry, it's really trying to be dumb, so it's kind of it's it just does, after it doesn't have to try. It's it's plenty. There's plenty of dumb to go around here. No, I know, but it knows. But it's, damn, if that guy, God, he's so fucking good. He's so fucking good. Jamati, some of the Jamati. He doesn't even belong in the movie. There's no reason. You know, what one of the things I was going to ask you guys: Does he even? need to be here. I mean, he's like that twister, like, oh, we're going to predict a twister coming. Um, God, I love him. I love him. I, lo- I really loved it. I love this movie. I, I know this. I know that's stupid, but I loved it. All right. Well, Kelly Wan, where do you fall on the uh, Dingus scale of if, if Dingus scale is the, the most affection you can have for this movie at a 9.6, <laughs> where would you fall below or that's, above that? That's the most affection we've ever had for a movie. Yeah. Um, mm, maybe my impressions would have been different in English, but Dingus is kind of making convincing me it's good. Actually, it's, it's pretty not funny. good. I it, I'm, I freely acknowledge that it's not good. You just no, have, no. But what, what was funny. your what was your opinion when you saw it? Yeah, pretend you haven't heard anything Dingus has said yet, Kelly Wand. How did you feel about San Andreas after you saw it? Um, I was giggling a lot, mm-hmm. and I was by myself. Although I was surrounded by actual Germans, and like there was some like tough. I'm seeing a lot of German versus German action, and there was like three dudes who were cackling through the movie and being really annoying and dumb, and then like a dude in front went silenced them, like you did the baby that one time. Um, so that was kind of interesting to me too. Uh, but it's uh, I couldn't tell if it would have been better paced if I'd known what the words were in dialogue. Maybe you should but, try seeing movies in English next time. Just no, a tip. Just come on, a tip. San Andreas. 
San Andreas. I didn't uh, hate it. Well, I look forward to hearing Dingus's enthusiasm because I just had I was so bored with this. I thought it was terrible. Um, I not even The Rock could make this interesting for me. So I'm totally down on this. Uh, part of it might be, and we'll get into our over unders. Actually, I have a let me float this with you guys. Why don't we just organically, in the course of talking about movies, just bring up our over-unders rather than trying to avoid it uh, or save it for last, like a second. Um, So if in the course of talking about it, your over-under comes up, go ahead and bring it up. And I think part of my issue is I recently watched, uh, for some reason, Volcano and Dante's Peak. Um, (laughs) And I I had not seen them before. And I was very pleasantly surprised with Dante's Peak, which is my over for this, um, because I thought Dante's Peak was a, uh, which, I'm not saying Dante's Peak is very good, but I thought Dante's Peak was an interesting way to make a disaster movie uh, varied and well-paced and sort of use a couple of likable leads. Um, So I I think that might be part of the problem, is I'd recently been pleasantly surprised by Dante's Peak. And this I was not pleasantly surprised by. Uh, You thought Volcano sucked? Oh, Volcano is is horrible. Yeah, there's nothing Mm -hmm. to recommend Volcano. Um, it was kind of freaking me out a couple times, but I was able, I was very young at the time, like thirty. Yeah, well, I can understand. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I was very impressionable. Uh, but but so, so, it, you know. well, so so I think part of the problem for me is I just seen a pleasant surprise, and then this just didn't really have much of a pleasant surprise for me. So, Dingus, I want to. You say it's bad, and yet you still liked it, and that's fine. I think we all understand that when you see a movie that you think is kind of lousy, but you still enjoy it, and you end up liking it a lot. Um, so you're, you're basically saying it's, it's just because The Rock is such a likable guy? Like, that was a large part of why you liked it? Uh, that's, that is a large part of why I liked it, but I think that I think the acting is uniformly pretty good. I mean, um, <laughs> I, 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 I know that's, like the, like, I, I realize that, but I, the daughter? I loved, I mean, I don't think of it in the same way. Like, I don't, I wouldn't have, you know, my bracketing is going to be Slightly different, slightly. Um, I, I'm not going to do the the volcano movies because I, I think of this more in fam- familial terms. I, I like the way. I mean, I know that some sometimes these these kinds of movies use like uh, family situations as just fodder for uh, you know what we're going to do to get out of this disaster. Oh, we got to save somebody's daughter or whatever. And and I I I freely admit that. Uh, as hot as she is, Alexandra Dario, um, the, <laughs> I think she's way too old for this part. Uh, I don't think that <laughs> makes any sense. I, uh, I, I, it's just so weird. I think I think that this 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 that part cries for a, a younger a younger girl. Although I love the way I love the way they uh, they play that out. I, I mean, I kind of like the way romance, that so. she's useful. That not uh, useful is a, a crappy way to put it. That that she's the one who takes care of Ben and Ollie, and at the end, in that uh, before the terrible last line of the movie, um, when Ben says she looked after us, and that's absolutely true. I, I love how much she knew. She's clearly her her father's daughter. Um, I I. I I, I I think she's good at what she's doing. I think she's I think it's Miss Cass. Um, but still, I loved The Rock in this. I liked his relationship with Carla Gugino. I I hated the uh, Mister Fantastic Ian Grunfeld Gruffled 
character. Um, I think that's terrible. Um, but God, I love so much. Of, I, I love so much of what these characters are doing. I, I know that's ridiculous, but I, I love so much of this, and I, I, I would call it more of a family, uh, family surviving a disaster than just sort of uh, a flat-out disaster movie. So all of that for me, though, Dingus felt really forced. Um, and part of it is I, I wasn't taken with anybody's performance. I mean, I, I well, I want to touch on, in case listeners haven't heard, because you guys tease me about this a lot, it comes up a lot, that's fine, and I enjoy it, but uh, I want to explain my whole thing about The Rock being a better actor than Harrison Ford. Uh, and I think that comes through in this, in this movie. But otherwise, I didn't care for... Like, I, nobody really... I, like you said, I didn't think Paul Giamatti should have been in this movie. It was totally, like, weird B-plot stuff that could have been cut and it would have lost nothing. Um, I, I hated the relationship between... Uh, as far as actors, like, I didn't feel anything between uh, Alexander Daddario and the English guys. Um, I was really disappointed they just did the stereotypical stepfather is a rich asshole thing. Yeah. Ian Gruffold's character. Yeah. Uh, Carla Gugino uh, didn't do much for me. Every time, for instance, um, and in the moment, by the way, the movie started, and there's a floating locket going across the screen, I thought, uh-oh. You know, they're going <laughs> to... This, there's gonna, they're trying to do some backstory stuff here. You know, this movie's gonna try to get serious, and it did. Anytime they had that, that, you know, dead Mallory scene, you know, the conversation about the daughter, I felt like it just came to a, a screeching halt. Um, and, and those just felt to me really awkwardly placed. Uh, I didn't feel, I mean, it's fun watching The Rock try to do that kind of scene, but I didn't feel like he was really connecting with Carla. God, Jugino? It is all cliches. The whole movie is cliches. Yeah, and, and I blame, and, and I didn't realize this till the credits came up. Dingus uh, Carlton Cuse, the, the, the guy who wrote the script, he's one of the, the main writers from Lost, um, which is never a good sign for me. Like I, I think like Lost, Damon Lindelof is the guy we mostly make fun of, uh, but so much of Lost was just flat out awful. And So when I saw Carlton Cuse's name come up at the end, I was like, oh, well... Okay, that explains some of it. Um, you know, uh, in okay, Lindelof wrote Tomorrowland and Q's wrote this, and they both feature what to me is like the stupidest cliche in movies is when someone's about to get crushed by something, and then they it's a villain, and then they always kind of get this look or say something dumb like, "Well, I guess I had this coming." Like they they kind of look like, ah, "I knew this was going to happen." <laughs> as opposed to and like what Charles, them. as opposed to like what Charles Grodin does in King Kong, where when something's going to fall on you, you scream and raise he's, your hands. Yeah, he's terrified. Right, right, right. Um, so double lost crush stupid. Uh, but so so yeah, a lot of what what you were responding to, Dingus, just uh, completely didn't work for me, uh, and I wanted it to. Um, have any of us seen the last uh, Dwayne Johnson, uh, Peyton Reed, or no, not Peyton Reed? I'm confusing it with the Bring It On guy. What's the director? Brad Peyton. Uh, Brad Peyton directed Dwayne Johnson in Journey to the Mysterious Island. Have any of us seen that? No. Okay. No, I didn't. It's just burn. It. It's CG burn. I think so. I'm not real clear on that what exactly really light. it was, but it's also I, I I seem to recall it was very much a, a family adventure kind of thing. Whereas this one, um, there were certainly the family connections, but Dingus had because I think that was one of the the things I was thinking going in is is it was going to be a fairly safe like family adventure movie. There's no dead bodies, and the family's stoked. Um, there are. I mean, 
it's the thing is I don't think it is that. Like I think it's trying to like it's it's freely conceding. It's not doing that ridiculous Avengers thing where it's trying to pretend that there are no casualties. Right. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's very it's clear that dudes are falling off of buildings. Right. It's very clear like that waitress has gone out the door and just it's it's clear everybody's the tsunami, you see bodies in, underwater in the tsunami thing. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not it's not soft-pedaling the fact that thousands upon thousands of people are dying. Right. Um, so it it was kind of suitably grim in, in that regard mm. as a disaster movie. It doesn't show them most. Well, no, you're right, Kelly Wan. It's not... Uh, it's soft. It, well, right. it's PG-13, so right. it's not going to show that, yeah. but it's, it, I know. It's, it's not... I don't think it's, it's shy about the idea that, you know, people are going out of doors... Where there's nothing there and they're falling off. There's a, there's a dude hanging from rebar and he falls off of that. Um, I, there, yeah, I mean, that part. At the beginning, the, that guy gets his his foot impaled and then he gets sucked into the the deluge. I mean, I, I mean, it's clear that people are being killed right and left. It's not like Fury, the the Fast and Furious movie, where a tank is running over right, SUVs right. and we're going to pretend that nobody's in them. I mean, it, we understand that thousands of people are dying. And in a way, I kind of respect that about the movie, um, but it was still, you know, it, it was it, tonally, it didn't, it, it so didn't care about those, and even in terms yeah. of the plot, those other people. I mean, to me, it was kind of shocking that here's a rescue pilot. Uh, yeah. He doesn't help yeah. anyone else in the movie yeah. except for one scene outside of the baseball park. Um, he spends the rest of the movie ignoring. These people he could be helping. Um, yeah. Well, I, I don't. Even, I don't even understand from a logistics point of view how he is able to pilot his own helicopter with nobody else in it and then fly all around during this disaster. Right. I, I missed. I missed with whatever no connective tissue. What I mean, there, there's 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 this like Top Gun. We're walking on the tarmac moment where, where you know he tells his friend that his shoes untied but how does he wind up in his own rescue helicopter just flying around with no with no crew and then and then he can push the hov button and let his helicopter magically hover uh while he saves carla i mean what what's going on i I don't understand how he has no crew in his helicopter i guess the movie is so unconcerned with logistics because it's gonna he's going to to fly and then drive and then boat into San Francisco and magically run into where his daughter is. The movie is mm-hmm. so unconcerned with those kind of logistics, which well, is part of what kind of bothered me. Trains and automobiles, but I just I I wish there had been some sort of justification for. Nope, you can't have it. This dude flying around L.A. with no crew in his helicopter. Nope, thing is, he get no justification. Just like he's gonna he's gonna find the daughter and she's gonna see him at the right time and have the laser. Nope, all of this is very convenient, very unconcerned with logistics. Yeah, uh, no choices to make. Yeah, like everything's just going to kind of happen. Um, so I was actually you – know, uh, what I was hoping when I brought that up is one of you guys would say, oh, no, no, this is how they justified him not having a crew in his helicopter. <laughs> in when, German, it made sense. When he saves me. Emma. When he saves her on top of the building, I was hoping one of you two guys would do would, – would tell me, oh, Dingus, you missed this point. It, you know, before he put, pushes the hover button <laughs> – the reason he can't do that is because he has to leave so and so behind or whatever. Well, I will say the hover. Like, that, heli- you uh, can set a helicopter to auto hover. I mean, that is realistic. Yeah, but not right. at that height. I don't sure think. You can. Of course, you just the helicopter. You just it just fixes the controls. Um, yeah, but but it but it but with that much. All right. Well, enough. no, you're right, Dingus. So if there's like the, the 
the the idea of all this like the blast of, of stuff and like it, like right. it, it would get knocked around but helicopters can be set to auto hover but but anyway the point being so much of the logistics of this movie just Carlton Hughes couldn't care less about building it right. yeah um, okay it sucks Tom's right for instance like when he when he's separated this could be a cool moment when he's separated from his daughter by glass and the building is filling up with water um and and it gets dire he just you know why didn't he just go all the rock on those boxes in the way earlier for instance right like yeah. that's so dopey to me and all this just felt so contrived with stuff like that um so I, but you know I I don't know what I was I, I'm not expecting something super plausible and and I guess so part of my problem overall is if we look at this as just a straight up action movie, um, I have to say I wasn't impressed enough with the action for that to carry it for me. Um, so it didn't yeah, feel do, very real. Okay, it didn't feel real. Um, Rounded. And I, I didn't, I just, you know, once you see a couple of shots of skyscrapers falling over, I just felt like there, it didn't really have much else for me uh, yeah. to see. Um, That's why so, they needed San Francisco. That's why San Francisco's in every disaster movie, because there's well, landmarks to fuck it, it up. It kind of, it does kind of hold, and, and by the way, I watched the trailers after the movie, every single shot, with the exception of one cool thing, which I liked, every single shot given away in the trailers. All the stuff, the tsunami is in the trailers. Like, everything is in the trailers. Um, uh. I would have been so bummed at that. Uh, but I, I, I just, yeah, as far as the spectacle goes, the only thing I really liked was racing up the tsunami, and then, whoops, there's a cargo ship coming over the lip of the tsunami. I thought that was a cool little ridiculous set piece. If there yeah, had been that more, was good. I, I know. Yeah, and I wanted more, like, crazy, over-the-top stuff like that, and felt like I didn't really get it. So I was disappointed in it as an action spectacle thing. Um, What's the payoff for the Jamadi character in English? Because <laughs> is he just exposition he's guy? He's just exposition maybe? guy, yeah. And it's because that's the thing is in a movie like, um, and again, I don't mean to compare it, keep comparing it to Dante's Peak because Dante's Peak isn't that great, but there's so many points of familiarity. In Dante's Peak, the rescuer is also the exposition guy. You know, Pierce Brosnan is the volcano expert who ends up with Linda Hamilton racing around to save uh, her family. Um, here, I guess because they thought The Rock wouldn't be a realistic geo-seismic uh, scientist or whatever, they had to bring in uh, a nebbish character actor uh, to play the scientist to explain this stuff. That was, that really was horrible. I mean, at the end, what what he's sitting there with the news girl, and he basically said, you know, she says, she says something along the lines of, you you've done a lot of good and he looks at her like meaningfully and says we all did good i mean he he does this there's this weird sort of we we all made a difference because we told everybody to uh drive out of san francisco in time i, I mean he, there's no reason for him to be there it's a it's a terrible character it's this weird thing like from twister where we're going to be able to predict if if only we could predict when these things are happening then then we will save so many lives and and, and it, it, instead in this particular movie it's him saying uh, okay yeah i can predict it but like a minute and a half before you guys are going to have to deal with it uh i it's i God, he shouldn't even be in the movie he's yeah. And I love at the end that this, uh, you know, here it is, the largest earthquake in human history, 
and this reporter has nothing to do but sit with Paul Giamatti and watch the news. Like, right. you would think, exactly. shouldn't she be out actually taking advantage of the fact that she's a uh, unseen and can cover this? Uh, he doesn't they, even discover the news. They hack it. They hack the news. The right, right. Yeah, with the audiovisual department. Actually, that was kind of a cute moment too. Who wants an A in an extra credit class? Like that. That. I think that was the only laugh. My th- the only moment Wait, that my theater laughed. See, Kelly Wan, when you see uh, moments in movies in German, you miss moments like that. I guess. Uh, my theater, there were there were uh, eight people in my theater, I think, and they were clapping. They clapped when Alexander Dari was saved from oh. the limo. They uh, wow. literally there the two people in different. front of me. There was a there's an older couple in front of me, and they raised their hands above their heads and they clapped. <laughs> she was saved from <laughs> the car. The Why above jet. the heads? It's like That's you're on a roller coaster or something. No idea. Wow. They, they, they raised you're the movie theater. That's yeah. the stupidest thing to they do. They raised their hands above their heads and they clapped. People, look what I'm doing. They, they were very, very excited about this movie. They were very excited when things happened. <laughs> and 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 when things did, you know, they are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the way they were talking was, yeah, that better have happened. It was like they were going to take some vengeance out of the movie if that hadn't happened. So, what? Yeah. I clapped when the daughter drowned. But wait, what are they? They wanted vengeance on. Yeah, if if that daughter hadn't been saved, they would have been angry about it. They would have booed with their hands above their heads. Probably. Uh, it's a lynch mob. Now you, you know the thing is, and since we're doing sort of the over under <laughs> organically, um, I think of this movie sort of in a family way because. Um, I really do think that Dwayne Johnson does a great job in this movie. Okay, I really, really like him, and I marry this movie up with uh, Deep Impact because of that couple at the end. I can't help but do that, um, and I really like the way that this movie works through the whole family thing. As ridiculous as it is, I mean, and it is that sort of weird, uh, you know crappy stepfather who's a rich asshole and is a, is a creep and runs away um and then you know when he dies he's like oh no a carrier truck is a carrier ship is gonna drop on me um that stuff is stupid i freely admit that but i think that the rock stuff i think that what dwayne, dwayne johnson does with carly uh geez what's it called carla carla g carla g carla g all right for emma yeah. Because he calls her Emma, um, I think he what he does is really good. I think he I think he's really good at this. I think it's I think it's terrible that they stay that they sit there at the um, uh, in the Cessna. It's hard to say sit there in the Cessna um, uh, <laughs> in that in that little plane before they take off. Like, why aren't you guys flying and having this conversation? Which I realize is ridiculous. Um, but he, I think he handles that scene so well. I mean, I just love the guy. Well, let me then just reiterate briefly. So, uh, I don't remember where I laid this out before, but I, I was having a conversation with someone a while ago who was, who was asking, where is the Harrison Ford of contemporary actors? You know, who's the Harrison Ford of, of this day? Um, you know, the way we discovered Harrison Ford in Star Wars, and he went on to do Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's no equivalent to that. Um, so in talking to this friend of mine, I suggested, well, let's let's try some, like, what about Dwayne Johnson? Is, is Would he be a, like, latter-day Harrison Ford? Um, and I think there might be something to that. But in the course of this conversation, 
I posited that I thought uh, Dwayne Johnson was a better actor than Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford is, of course, a bigger celebrity, um, and he's he's had a longer career, of course. Um, but that I prefer Dwayne Johnson as an actor because you don't. I, I've never seen Dwayne Johnson just phone something in the way that Harrison Ford does with a lot of roles these days. Uh, and you know what people use to determine who is a better actor than whom is very subjective. Um, but for my book, for what I look for in an actor, a lot of it is, do you have enthusiasm for what you're doing? Do you bring energy to it? Is there some consistency? Um, you know, how much of a showman are you? And Harrison Ford, a lot of times, is just, especially lately, just a grumpy old man. And even his early career, he's fantastic as, as you know, Han Solo and Indiana Jones and that stuff. But he's kind of like one note. He does this really cool slow burn. Um, so, out of this conversation came this idea that I think, according to the criteria of what I like in an actor, Dwayne Johnson is a better actor than Harrison Ford. Uh, and you guys rightly make fun of me for that because it's kind of a ridiculous thing to even compare them. Uh, but, so Dingus, you think this is a good example of like a Dwayne Johnson performance? Like you think he was he was good in this? Well, what... This, what this performance, I, I, as I was sitting there watching that, I was thinking about this conversation we were going to have, mm-hmm. and what what it made me think is that um, I don't think Harrison Ford cares what you or his family thinks about him. I don't think he really cares if his family loves him. I don't know. Um, Indiana Jones couldn't care less about how other people feel about him. He's just super cool. But I think that um, Dwayne Johnson's characters care about whether or not his family loves him. And I don't think that Harrison Ford's characters, and I'm I'm thinking through them, I don't think his characters care about whether or not his family likes him. And I don't think Harrison Ford cares whether or not we like him. And that's sort of attractive. There's sort of an attractiveness about Indiana Jones. He doesn't care if we like him or not. He does. He's this. He's sort of this lone dude, and he's going to do what he's going to do, and he cares about this certain thing, and he doesn't care if we care or not. But I think Dwayne Johnson does care, but not in needy way. Right. Uh, he he cares that we care about him, but uh, but he because he's going to provide. Um, so I think that this is a father that provides, and I think that. My favorite uh, Harrison Ford performance is the uh, his Ali Fox performance in Mosquito Coast, uh, which is a which is a father that uh, doesn't necessarily care whether or not he's loved, but whether or not he's going to uh, do something innovative. But it's not something that he cares about uh, whether or not he whether or not he's loved. So I don't know. Does that make any sense? Yeah, but I, I think Mosquito Coast, to me, is a prime example of Harrison Ford's limitations. Like, he, Mosquito Coast is, I think it's a Paul Schrader script, um, is is about, like, this this crazy guy who puts his family in jeopardy yeah. uh, for, for because he's a little crazy. And I think Harrison Ford cannot pull it off. Like, again, it's a very subjective thing, but Mosquito Coast is fascinating for how, to my mind, Harrison Ford doesn't work trying to do that kind of role. Um but I get what you're saying. There, there's a definite warmth to Dwayne Johnson. And it's not needy, but an eagerness to please. Um, ah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, and and, I, and that, that comes through the screen. I mean, and that's his, he's got the charisma to, to, to back it up as well. Um, 
but here, so so there, there's a scene where. Um, so actually, I want to contra- contrast um, San Andreas to a movie called Maggie. Um, Maggie is an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie with Abigail Breslin playing his daughter. And she's been bitten by a zombie in a zombie apocalypse. Um, so it's just a matter of time before she turns. Um, and she's been missing in the city before the movie starts. And when the movie starts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's a farmer, lives out on a farm. He has to go pick her up from the city and the hospital. Um, and then basically just care for her until she inevitably turns. Um, Maggie was made by a first-time director. It's kind of a very slow movie. It has a an artsy kind of quality to it. Um, and Schwarzenegger, as an actor, absolutely out of his depth. He, <laughs> it is definitely not... It is asking him to do things that he is incapable of as an actor. But it kind of works because it's about a, a, a simple farmer basically dealing with his daughter having a terminal illness. And just as Schwarzenegger is out of his depth as, a, as an actor, this character is out of his depth in terms of dealing with the situation. He has no idea how to deal with you know, his daughter being terminally ill. Um, so, oddly enough, whereas the weak point in Maggie should be stunt-casting Schwarzenegger in this arthouse zombie movie, that's actually one of the most fascinating things about it. Um, and part of it is because characters in Maggie don't have these Hollywood conversations where they're fully aware of their... They have this self-awareness and this, they can articulate their feelings. Um, and they do it for, you know, because it, it's, it's dumbed down for an audience where a character just says exactly how he or she feels. It's very on the nose. Um, Maggie is much more art house in, in, in uh, sort of elliptical in terms of characters knowing how they feel and expressing themselves. Whereas San Andreas, on the other hand, the conversations that he has with Carla G about their dead daughter Mallory, it's such like Hollywood, on the nose, you know, I'm going to tell you, I'm sorry I've been uncommunicative, I threw myself into my work after our daughter died, I know I wasn't there for you. Um, you know, it's the, it's this, this like self-awareness moment that a character would have if he or she had been in like therapy for years. Um or if they were in just a very cliched Hollywood movie where you have to spell this stuff out for the audience. Um, so, whereas I think Schwarzenegger being out of his depth totally worked in a movie like Maggie, uh, I don't think The Rock was that convincing for me because it was such regular cliched Hollywood, you know, we have a dead daughter, it broke up our marriage, and now we're going to rescue our remaining daughter and it's going to bring us together. Uh, it was just all very overly obvious. Uh, and even though Dwayne Johnson is very charismatic, and he was trying, I mean, he tries to cry. There's the one scene, I think in the car, or in the plane before they take off, or, or Dingus, he were like, you should be flying. Um, in that one scene, I think he tries to cry, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and doesn't yeah. quite get there, but, you know, he's trying. Uh, <laughs> but so, I, I guess we're, uh, yeah, so, whereas I still think, uh, you know, I, I love watching Dwayne Johnson work, I, I just, his charisma is undeniable, Uh I just think there was really nothing for him to latch onto here. Uh, Has Harrison Ford even ever tried to cry? I'm sure he. I mean, I, I can't think of it. Presumed crying innocent. Is, is I think he didn't witness. Yeah, and crying is actually not that hard. I mean, it, it, you know. It, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I'm actually I'm arguing your point. Just. I'm sure Harrison Ford has cried in a movie. Um, but I, I think if you want to see Dwayne Johnson, though. Uh, I would recommend that 
to see Dwayne Johnson at his best, there's a movie we saw called Faster, where he plays a kind of a tough Terminator mm. action hero, and it's not the super likable, twinkle-in-his-eye, charismatic showman role. Like He's really good in Faster, but where I think he really shines, unfortunately, you have to sit through a Michael Bay movie to enjoy this, but in Pain and Gain, he's freaking hilarious. Fuck yeah. Wait. Well, you have seen that, Kelly Wand. We did. We podcasted about it, and I liked it, and you guys made fun of it. No, Dingus didn't see it. I, I think. Wait, Pain again? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We did something for for whatever reason. We were going to do. There was some switch we had to do at the last minute. Dingus didn't get to see Pain and Gain. Um, but I think Dwayne Johnson is amazing oh. in that. Yeah, he's hilarious. Yeah. The barbecue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, and it's black humor. I like, it's like it's like Dwayne. What if Dwayne Johnson was in a Coen Brothers movie? That's like what yeah. he's doing in Pain and Gain, and it's a delight to watch. Um, and you know what? I know I'm picking on the weak, i.e., Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof, but it's like. Wouldn't it have been kind of interesting to have a character like his character in Faster, but in an earthquake, instead of the same family shit that's in every other movie, every other disaster movie ever, Into the Storm? I really think that, yeah, this movie just does nothing different or refresh. I mean, this movie doesn't want to take any chances. It all, Why does it think I want to see that? It, well, it made $50 million. I mean, yeah. enough people wanted to see it. I mean, it, it, it's a very safe movie. Uh, uh, well, I, I think it's entirely... I mean. I, it's weird for me to have to defend um, Dwayne Johnson's performance, but I'm going to. Um, there's a couple of subtle moments that he does that I think that are really good. Okay, what I want to hear about these. All right, so uh, for instance, when he goes to the house and he finds out for the first time oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah, that, I already agree with you, Dingus. You're winning me over. Go ahead, explain. All right, this. That, that they're all going to move in together. That that uh, that Ian Gruffold and uh, then uh, Carl G and uh, <laughs> they none of their Alexander names are they're all going to move in together and then I mean this, this is particular I, I understand this um, that this this that he's gotten these divorce papers he's driven his car over to deliver her bike to her and he's just found out for the first time that they're all going to move in together and he's handing over the bike. I mean, there are so many little things that he does all through that sequence that are really little nice touches that I think that he does really well. Um, I, 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 it's weird for me to come over to your, to, to defend him in this way, because I've long held that Harrison Ford is the better actor, but he's doing so many little subtle things in those scenes where he's just, where he's taking the bike off the truck. I mean, right, and and I wish there would have been more of that. I mean, then but then too much of the movie is just him like driving a boat or yelling at people to get down or, or whatever. Yeah, uh, the action sucks. That's what. I well, think. no, I you know, I kind of disagree with that because I mean, what 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 I was worried about was is is Carla Gugino just going to keep saying Ray, where is she? Ray, where is she? And and he's going to have to keep giving her answers. And finally, she gets to drive the boat into the building. She gets. To finally do something, um, uh, I think that there are a lot of little things that he's doing all through that, where he's not just doing those things; that, that he's actually doing little things that are really meaningful. Can you think of more? I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, cause I, but I did love that moment, and I'd forgotten about that when he finds out they're moving in together, and he's trying not to show his disappointment. But all right, well, there... can I move in too? That's what he's thinking. 
No, but we'll know. I mean, there, there's this, there's the silly moment. And this, this calls to mind my over. And since we're doing this sort of in a, in a more organic way, um, when, when they, when he crash lands the helicopter into the store and then he has to steal a truck and then beat the guy down and say, no, we're taking the truck. Um, and then they drive off and then he almost drives off that off into the San Andreas fault, but that, that couple waves them down and says no. There's that. There's that weird sort of. We're just we're passing you goodbye, and then we're coming back to say thank you for doing that for us. Um, <laughs> yeah. So my my over then would be carriers. Uh, I, I realize carriers is far above this movie. Um, so the bracketing really falls. But um, but as far as a disaster movie where. A family relationship has to be established, and um, we have to understand that sometimes we are going to ignore people who need help, and sometimes those people may need to help us later. Uh, so um, that that weird moment where they they drive past that family and and uh, and the Rock and Carla G just disregard them, but then they realize, oh my gosh, we have to stop. Uh, it was this weird juxtaposition of we're leaving these two people for me, but oh, what, huh? And then they stop and then they come back and they give them the truck and then they take the plane. So uh, carriers obviously is above this, but um, but that little moment where where he he gets out of the truck, he looks at out that thing, they go back and he talks to the dude. Where'd you get? Where's that? Where'd the heck come from? Um, I just love the way he looks at those people. I love the way he deals with once they land inside the um, in the store, and there's this weird and this is very PG thirteen. There's this weird looting thing that's going on, and people are being shot and killed. You don't see any of that, uh, but he just sort of deals up with all of that and moves Carla out of that and over to the truck, and he decides I'm going to steal this truck. That's just what's going to happen right now. Uh, and I think he handles all of that perfectly. It's not stealing, by the way, if you take it from someone who already stole it. That's right. He's stealing it again. Uh, so anyway, I think I think he handles all of that well, and I and I kind of grudgingly respect the PG thirteen version of all this looting, killing is going on, and he's going to go ahead and steal this truck. I have another objection about the rock that I'm curious how you guys feel about this. Um, I think his body type works against him a lot. Um, so the guy, he's a, he's a freaking monster. I mean, his, his body's amazing. I mean, the way he looks, I mean, how do you, he, he, he almost looks inhuman. And to see him dealing with human issues uh, feels so unconvincing to me. There's a hilar- unintentionally hilarious movie called Snitch where uh, – he plays the owner of a trucking company. He's just a he's just a businessman uh, who gets caught up in you know his son is arrested for drug dealing and he gets caught up in dealing with like a seedy underworld of crime. Uh, and just as a guy in a suit and tie, he looks completely out of his element. It's ridiculous. Uh, so seeing him, uh, you know, talking about getting divorced, he de- the Rock does not have the physique. Of someone who gets divorced, the the Rock <laughs> looks like a guy who, whose marriage would only end with with something involving a funeral pyre or or an imperial annulment. I mean, and it's ridiculous too to me that arm with that bicep to see it perched on a boat throttle 
or holding a helicopter controller, it just looks like overkill. Like, oh my god, and even when he's doing CPR, he would have crushed Alexander Daddario's ribcage. Um, mm-hmm. So it's so weird to me just seeing a guy with that body type playing a real person. Uh-huh. Uh, my, my favorite example of that is um, is the parachute jump. <laughs> <laughs> when they when they jump out of the Cessna right, and they right. do the tandem jump, and she keeps reaching up and he keeps smacking her hands <laughs> down, and then they land and it looks like uh, Gandalf and, and a Hobbit have landed. Yeah, uh, and Kelly Wan, by the way, missed the little body reference during that scene. What? Because it was in because you saw it in German. He says to her something like, "Wow, it's been a while since I got you to second base, or since I got to yeah. second base with you." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Kelly Wan, you you missed uh, Carlton Cuse's sense of humor at that moment. Uh, let me just say, uh, just really quick, I I really hate watching things in 3D, but I had to watch this movie in 3D just because of uh, scheduling. Um, but any of the flying stuff or the traveling stuff, the the helicopter, that that plane, mm-hmm. the jumping out of the plane, um, the driving and the boat, that stuff looked great in this movie in 3D. Uh, I, in fact, I, I almost tried to pick the, um, uh, oh God, what's the movie that we loved in 3D? That Resident we, Evil uh, something or something. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Resident, that Resident Evil movie we loved so much. I, I almost tried to bracket that, um, because the, the flying looked so great. It really, I mean, the helicopter stuff looked amazing in 3D. It really, really looked great. But unfortunately, the 3D also made all the humans look like little Lego characters in any other scene, and all the other stuff looked ridiculous. All of the uh, the buildings falling just did, looked less realistic. Um, the, otherwise, the the other than just flying around in a helicopter in a Cessna, and then the boat and the and the truck. Anything else looked ridiculous right. in three D. Right. Uh, Carrie, one, what is your over? So Dingus is uh, over. He thinks that uh, his over is carriers, as far as movies about during a disaster and how you sometimes can't help people on the side of the road. His over was carriers. For me, as far as uh, sort of crappy disaster movies that have interesting set pieces, I would pick Dante's Peak as my over. What did you choose, Kelly Wand? Uh, my over, uh, the best disaster movie is Inframan, and my under, the worst disaster movie, is uh, Misery. Huh. All right, well, if we're doing unders, Dingus, what was your under? Uh, my under was Deep Impact. Oh, right, right, you mentioned that, yeah. Uh-huh. Right, D- mainly, and, and just that couple at the end made me think of uh, Taylioni and, what's his name? Maximilian Schell, yeah. On the very, very well, right. yeah. Uh, so what's from- my under is um, oh. so Carrie Wan at the end of Deep Impact, Taylioni and her estranged father, played by Maximilian Schell. Right. Uh, they reconcile on the beach as a tsunami comes in and overwhelms them. Yeah, I was thinking about Jurassic Park three, her and William Macy for some reason, before they get eaten by the. Nope, it's a different. The... Mo- it's a different movie, Kelly Wand. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So my under, as far as big disaster movies, uh, there is nothing remotely comparable to Dwayne Johnson's. You know, at least he's trying, and the guy has charisma. Uh, there's nothing comparable to that in 2012, which has, like, John Cusack outracing an earthquake in his limo. Uh, uh-huh. So that would Woody be Harrelson. Better. Woody Harrelson's close. Ew, is, like, Emmerich, wacky... though? Well, I, that's what I'm saying, is I, I think 2012 is terrible. Yeah. 
Um, uh, so how did we feel about uh, Alexandra Daddario? So being as you thought she was good? Uh, no, I thought she was... <laughs> I was kind of distracted from good, remembering, her, remembering her from True, True Detective. I know, you can't forget those enormous blue eyes, can you? Yeah, her oh, eyes yeah, are pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think she, I think she's the totally wrong age for this. I, it does seem like it would be a, yeah, like go ahead and be willing to put at risk like a younger, like a twelve-year-old girl or something, and make the stakes a little higher. Uh, yeah. Oh, she's got a drown. Right. As weird as uh, Tomorrowland felt with uh, with that little robot girl. Uh, All right. Right. I think that this this movie really needed a younger girl, uh, and she was fine, and she was fine. Uh, but what do you mean, Dingus? Uh, she was running a lot a, in a yeah. Wait, once I, and I always you know it's like uh, once the tsunami comes and she starts swimming around, I'm like, okay, let's let's have this happen, but mm-hmm. not much yeah. payoff there. But um, I think Dingus the model for what you're looking for, and I thought of a couple of times. Um, which of the Fannings is in War of the Worlds? Dakota? Oh. Now. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Super 8. No, no. But in, in War of the Worlds, where Dakota Fanning is a much younger girl, and her being in peril is very different than a college-aged actress being in peril. Right. Um, and yeah, that, that's such an important part of War of the Worlds, is seeing that poor little girl going through so much distress and peril. Yeah. yeah. Um... And Kelly Wand, how did how did you feel about uh, Alexandra Daddario's performance? I'd spill more than coffee on her. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty degrees, and I'm caught in between. Counting one, two, three, Peter Pan, Mary, getting down with three feet. Everybody loves old Another line you missed, Kelly Wand, that is a uh, potentially body, although I don't even think they realized it. Uh, when the rock is explaining what you want to do in an earthquake, Dingus, do you remember this? No, what? what? Uh, he explains it's to the people he saved outside AT&T Park. Uh, in an earthquake, what you want to do is get up against something sturdy. Okay. If you know what <laughs> I, I mean. I did love that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I thought that was just like the uh... wall. Oh, I was thinking like the rock himself. See, it, it's, uh, it's a double entendre, Kelly Wand. He hadn't been to second base with his wife yet? Uh, he in said a long it, time. Yeah, he said it's been a long time since I got you to second base. Yeah. Oh, a long time. See what you miss out when you see movies? Does Paul Giamatti get any? Mm, I'm fine. You would think that, that whole uh, the kiss moment... I mean, it's, it's always funny to me when... In a disaster movie like this, when characters are under high-stress situations, when are you going to have the two romantic leads, like, decide to kiss each other? Like, is that... W- would you really feel like... I don't know, I never... <clears throat> I'm always trying to go in for the kiss whenever there is a disaster, because I've seen it in so many movies. Right, that, that's when you would... No, but I think it was, it was really meaningful here, though. Can you not see that? <laughs> the kiss? Yeah... I mean, every time, every time she, every there's a gradation. Every time she touches him, there's there's a different moment when she touches his face and when she when they finally kiss. I mean, that's a that's a big deal for the those two people. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, she's 
She's wow. about to. She's moving in with another dude. Um, I mean, that's meaningful. She's moving with another. For, for me, uh, for me, because of their marital relationship and the breaking up of it, every time she touches his face. Oh, Dingus, no, we're, we're talking about Alexandra Dario and her her British new British. Oh, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought you're talking about the it's little. Like, the yeah, little yeah, brother. no, no, no. Right. <laughs> the Dario guy relationship that much. Uh, by the way, can I keep you know thinking the little that brother you brother is from? Where is the little brother from, Dingus? Do you guys know what the I, little brothers from? I don't. I mean, he looked vaguely familiar, but do we know him from something? Yeah, we know him from, from something. From the train. No, really. Uh, Are you serious, uh, Kelly? Uh, uh, dad again. Kelly one has no uh, idea what you're talking about, but I'm curious. What, what, Dingus? What, what did we know him from? Sense. All right. Um, he's from. Well, I, I would say Dracula and Told, but uh, he's Game <laughs> oh. of Thrones. Come on. Something about the kiss. Oh my god, is that Brand? No. What? That's freaking Brand. Oh, oh, oh the, the, uh, the the brother that nobody pays attention to. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. I didn't know that. I mean, when kids kids grow up fast and change, even Brand over the course of Game of Thrones looks so different than he initially did. Yeah, but, but I, I, lo- I just love that kid's face. But okay. he was also in uh, now in the books, all the characters are Rakan and. Did you guys know that was Kylie Minogue? George R. Martin, any of them. I had no idea that yeah. was Kylie Minogue. Me either. All right, Dingus, let's do a three by three. Uh, what, do you, what do you got for us this week? Oh, yeah. All right, I've got your three favorite uh, scenes that take place in schools, uh, and we're not talking about colleges. We're only going up as far as high school is concerned. Oh, you know what? I messed up. What? I thought we had to do like classrooms. For some reason, I was thinking they were like classroom scenes. That's fine. Classroom scenes, yeah. That's good. But the the idea is that it – but I, I didn't say classrooms because there's so many cool scenes that take place in hallways. Well, that's the thing is you can't – yeah, that's – I even had a little uh, lead in here about, you know, in a classroom, you can't have interesting things happen in classrooms because that's where the kids just have to sit and listen to whatever they're being taught. So much of school stuff takes place in the hallway or at recess or at lunch. So, all right. All right. Well, that's that's well, a, all mine happened to take place in classrooms, but I didn't want things that were in colleges. Um, right. But I wanted things that were <laughs> college uh, that were high school and below. Right. We don't want Kelly Wan just giving us examples from Animal House, for instance. Right. Exactly. Uh, all right. Well, Kelly well, Wan, you're introducing next week's topic, so why don't you tell us what you did with this topic and give us your number three? This one's a classroom and correct. My number three. I always feel dumb putting this movie on a list, but it, this is actually one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when E.T. gets drunk and ruins the frog dissection and got Elliot laid. Like a lot happens in 10 minutes of screen time. So I thought, and that, that was the last time when I saw E.T. where I went, well, I didn't see that coming. And then the rest of the movie kind of happens. Like, All right. Yeah, yeah. Walk up the ramp. dum de dum But like, you know, it's like a music video. It was the first music video I ever saw. How is it like a music video? Because he's watching uh, The Quiet Man, and that's like a music video. Because it's just wind blowing, and that's what music is. Hmm. Oddly enough, from your description, I'm, I'm not remembering any of these scenes, but I will take your word for it. Dingus, do you know what the he's talking about? E.T. part? E.T. getting drunk on beer, and then it makes... Elliot get drunk, so he gets really good at his frog, frog dissection. 
And then he kisses Eric Elaniac from the watch. What I don't remember is how E.T., how they got him into the school. They have a mind melt. No, no, he's not in the school. He's got a telepathic link with Elliot, so when he drinks beer at home, Elliot's in school and getting drunk and, like, burping. You can tell he's totally wasted on beer. Which is kind of a cool thing for a kid's movie. I don't remember the telepathic. What? No, it's weird. No one... You don't remember that part of E.T.? It was the weirdest part of the movie, and that's why it seemed really memorable to me. No, hey, but all the frogs it makes me, th- make, makes me think of a totally different lab scene, which I'm not going to bring up right now. Hmm. All right, my number three pick is, uh, let's see, I didn't have these for you. Uh, <laughs> that's not the reaction I expected. My number three is actually any given scene, and I'm totally serious about this, from Kindergarten Cop. Uh, just because uh, there are it's such an obvious formula is take Schwarzenegger, take a bunch of cute little kids, uh, and have him play it straight while the kids just do cute little things and comedy ensues. Um, and, and Kindergarten Cop is not a great movie because it's got that great formula, but then the rest of it is just a stupid Arnold Schwarzenegger police movie, uh, which I couldn't care less about. Uh, but there's so many iconic things that come from Kindergarten Cop. You know, he's trying to find out from these kids. He's trying to hunt down a, a ruthless drug lord guy. Uh, so he plays that game, you know, who's your daddy and what does he do? That whole scene with the kids. Uh, the, 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 the scene where he says he has a headache and the kid says maybe it's a tumor. The whole it's not a tumor thing is awesome. Uh, when he decides to play, uh, I think, like, police squad with them and he tells them to stop whining and he gets super serious with them and scares them. Uh I just love that formula. Let's have Schwarzenegger deal with a bunch of kids. Uh, oh, I was going to do a movie quote. Pretend you guys don't know what, what movie this is. Uh, here's the quote. You know, kindergarten is like the ocean. You don't want to turn your back on it. Wow. So, yeah, that's what Penelope Ann Miller turn tells him when, when she first meets him in kindergarten. Wow. The building or the kids? Kelly, why is it like it? You'll just have to uh, infer only, as you will from that. I saw that in Austrian, so I could only understand what he was saying. What's awesome is that one of our listeners wanted to send that in, but she was afraid to because she thought she would be made fun of. I think it's a great pick. I mean, seriously, who? I mean, those those scenes are great, right? I mean, the movie's stupid, but aren't all those scenes great? No, I, I have a huge soft spot for Kindergarten Cop. I really, really like that movie, actually. And uh, so this friend, this uh, listener named Dave, his wife Michelle wanted to send in Kindergarten Cop. She was like, ah, don't make fun of me for saying the tumor thing. Uh, and I immediately told him, look, I remember that little boy going, um, you know, boys have a penis and girls have a vagina. I really love Kindergarten Cop. I have a yeah. huge soft, 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 soft spot for that movie. All right, well, Dingus, what is your number three pick, then? All right, my number three is um, minor, minor, this is weird. Uh, I kind of thought about this over the week of thinking and trying to think of, like, really serious classrooms, um, and I just decided instead to go fanciful, uh, or not not necessarily fanciful, but things that I really, really liked. Or things that made me made me laugh, or that were things that um, were indicative of what uh, was going on in my brain as a kid 
when I was in classrooms. So first of all, I'm going to go with um, uh, Annie Hall um, from 1977. Wait, why? Uh, What's the school scene in that? All right, so there's an early scene where um, he imagines himself in his elementary school classroom. And oh, a, oh. and so his younger self kisses a girl, and he gets reprimanded for that. And then, uh, then she yells at him. The little girl yells. Even Freud uh, spoke of a latency period. And then you see the older Woody Allen in the school desk uh, going, or the the older. Um, uh, it's not Fielding Mellish. What Alvy, is it? Alvy Singer. Alvy Singer. Thank you, Tom. I can't believe I um, know that, and you couldn't think of that, Dingus. I know. Seriously, uh, the older, older Alvy Singer going. Uh, well, I never had a latency period. I can't help it. Um, and I, and I just love that because uh, for this sort of embarrassing um, thing that I have to say is that often when I was sitting in in class or wherever I was thinking about sex. Um, and I love that he says that they, that he kissed that girl, that poor girl. And she says latency period. And then he says, well, I never had a latency period. I can't help it. And then, yeah. So anyway, right. any hope. So, uh, as far as awkwardness, so we've lost Kelly Wand. So, uh, I'm afraid uh, we'll go to my number two then. Um, We've lost Kelly Wand. Kelly Wand hung up on us. I think his connection in Germany crapped out. So, oh, all right. We're gonna have to. Uh, we can add in show notes later on. Kelly's number two and number one pick. Uh, okay. All right. So my number two pick, um, I love because it recalls the awkwardness of school. So the other things that happen in classrooms are you might have to give presentations, uh, and in the movie The Ice Storm, there's just a very brief scene of Elijah Wood standing up in front of his class, giving what is apparently, there's, it's, there's no setup for it, it just cuts to him doing this, uh, giving a presentation on molecules. Uh, and he's obviously very nervous being up there. Uh, it's written like a kid report would be written. And I'm just going to read you Elijah Wood's report on molecules from the ice storm. <clears throat> molecules. Because of molecules, we are connected to the outside world through our bodies. Like when you smell things. Because when you smell a smell, it's not really a smell. It's part of the object that has come off it. Molecules. So when you smell something bad, it's like in a way you're eating it. This is why you should not really smell things in the same way you don't eat everything in the world around you. Because as a smell, it gets inside of you. So the next time you go to the bathroom, after someone else has been there... Remember what kind of molecules you are, in fact, eating. Oh, my God. And then there's just a very brief take of the teacher in the class just sort of looking aghast, having no idea what to do with this presentation on molecules. (laughs) Uh. All right, Dingus, that is my number two, the ice storm. What is your second favorite class or school scene? All right, so... Uh, relating this again to the things that I dealt with in uh, in school, uh, I went through a period uh, when I first moved um, to Colorado. Uh, this was like in fourth grade, and I was going to a, a small little private school. It was the first time that this happened to me. Um, and this is the first time I was really a troublemaker. And I was... Uh, 
up until this point, and and even after that point, I was a pretty good kid, uh, even a good two shoes. But in fourth grade, at this little private school, um, I was the kind of, I was the kid who would get kicked out of the classroom uh, because I was a class clown, and I, I just I was just I was a I don't know. I guess it was just that transition that you go through, and I would make jokes. I would make the whole class laugh, and I would get kicked out of the class. And then my parents would have to deal with that. And it was a, a it was a tiny little private Christian school, so my parents had to kind of were really embarrassed by this. Um, but anyway, this this particular clip, uh, this particular movie scene reminds me of that time in my life when I was the the crappy kid. Uh, and this is the the scene in War Games, and it and it's a silly little scene, but it, it's something that I immediately thought of. Um, it's when uh, Matthew Broderick gets to class, he gets there late, um, and uh, the the crappy teacher, or he's kind of an angry teacher. He's, I don't I don't know if he's crappy, but he, he's kind of angry in that you know the kids have it, he'll hand the, their tests to them with the F on the test circled and he hands it to them facing outward. So everybody can see that that kid got an F, which is not something you would ever do nowadays. Um, but, but this teacher, it's a science class. And, and, and he asks everybody, uh, all right, Lightman, Lightman is, uh, Matthew Broderick's last name. All right, Lightman, maybe you could tell us, um, who first suggested the idea of, uh, asexual reproduction. And, uh, and Matthew Broderick's character goes, uh, your wife. So it's this kid who's this little, kind of a jerk making a joke at the teacher's expense have and getting sent. The, have you said the name of the movie? Yeah, I'm sorry, War Games, yeah. Oh, oh okay. I, I, I thought yeah. you were right. All right. So then Matthew Broderick gets into the principal, principal's office and then he looks at the um, – the, uh, uh, the password so that he can then hack into the computer later on. So it seems to be part of a, a larger plan on his part, but he's he's making fun of his teacher. So my number one actually, Dingus, is it feeds into that because everybody, you know, one of the power fantasies of being a little kid in school is, especially if you don't like the teacher, you know, what if I totally show up that teacher in front of the class? And it sounds like War Games is kind of tapping into that fantasy. My number one pick is a much more extreme version of that. Uh, it's a shame we lost Kelly Wand, because I think he would know this movie. I'm guessing you probably haven't seen it. Dingus, have you seen The Omen 2? Uh, no, I have not. Dingus. Uh, well, it's from a time before you probably weren't allowed to watch horror movies. But The Omen 2 is about Damien growing up as a young boy. Uh, and he eventually discovers in the course of the movie that he is the, you know, Satan's spawn, or the Antichrist. Uh, and he is... Uh, after he's been saved in the first omen, he is then taken care of by uh, a rich ambassador or something. So he, he is sent to a military school, a hoity-toity military school, and he gets caught in class uh, having a note passed to him and laughing at it. And so the history teacher calls him up to the front of the class uh, and basically grills him on the subject material, which happens to be uh, Napoleon's invasion of Russia, whatever. Uh but he's asking, the teacher is asking young Damien, all right, you seem to know a lot about this. Why don't you tell me such and such effect? And he's rapid fire answering every single question the teacher has. Um, eventually the teacher's like, okay, well, let's talk about dates. 
and the teacher is listing things, and Damien is answering him almost faster than he can actually ask the questions. Uh, and he totally is showing up because he is the Antichrist. He has all this stuff in his head. He totally shows up the teacher in front of the class. Um, but before he can go much further with it, uh, Lance Henriksen, who plays a Satanist, uh, who teaches at the military academy <laughs> and who takes Damien under his wing, comes into class and says, uh, you know, Damien, come with me. You know, takes him out of the class and basically says, you can't be that conspicuous. You know, you're, if you're going to be the Antichrist, you got to be cool about it. Um, but I love that scene where the teacher is saying, okay, when did this happen? When did that happen? When did this happen? And Damien is just bam, 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 giving him every date almost before he even finishes asking the question. Um, thing is, did you know... You probably didn't. The Omen 2 was originally directed by Mike Hodges, who did, uh, um, what's the Michael Caine thing the, uh, that was remade with Sylvester Stallone? Get Carter? Yeah, Get Carter, who did the original Get Carter and then went on to do, like, Croupier. Uh, Mike oh, Hodges, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he originally was directing the Omen sequel. Uh, but the studio yanked him off of it and gave it to someone else. But some of the scenes in The Omen, including this military academy sequence, were directed by Mike Hodges. So, <laughs> wow. All right, Dingus, what is your favorite school scene uh, that may or may not p- take place in the halls? Apparently this takes place in a classroom or in the halls. Uh, it takes place in two different places, and and there's a specific reason I chose this. Uh, I feel a little bit guilty for doing this because I've chosen this movie many times, although it's been a long time since I've referenced it. Uh, this is uh, the movie Rushmore, um, and it's that opening scene of the movie where he had where you don't know this as the movie opens. Um, but he's solving the hardest geometry program uh, problem in the world. Um, but it's not him actually doing that. It's his um, his fantasy of having do- done that, or or rather his dream of having done that, of of, of solving the hardest geometry problem. In the world. Which, by the way, confuses some people who appreciate Rushmore, like me, but not as much as you. Right. It's like, exactly. what is the reality of Rushmore? Is it in his head? Is this the real reality? What are we seeing? I'm lost. I don't get this movie. Uh, and what I love about this is, and and this again goes back to this this school I went to in uh, for half fourth grade, and then seventh eighth and ninth grade. It was this little, it was this little private school that I was just stuck in. Um, but uh, part of the day was going to chapel. Um, and and you would have to go to this huge assembly every single day and then be sitting there while while some dude like preached at you or talked to you and then there was this whole thing that would go on every single day in chapel and one of the things i love about that scene in rushmore is that it the opening of the scene is him solving the hardest geometry program uh, problem in the world and he's terrible at all things academic but He's the hero of the class in his brain. He wakes up in this chapel where Bill Murray is giving their actual spe- his speech to them, um, and he wakes up in chapel. And it reminded me so much of that moment in elementary school where I'd, I would be in this huge room with all the everybody in my school 
doing going through this chapel thing that we had to do every single day. It was like having an assembly every single day. And so that school assembly thing and uh, Max Fisher waking up in the school assembly thing is, is, the, is the other thing. And that's making so me th- that's, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I, every, yeah, that's making me think of other picks because I, I was limiting myself to the classroom. Yeah, school assemblies. That's other great – I'm already thinking of like two or three other things. Um, right. Well, you know what? Let's, let's go because this is going to blow wide open. Dingus, what do the readers have for us? I'm sure if they're not limiting themselves to classrooms, they've got some great stuff. Right. So we've got um, Simon Desmocked. Have we had Simon before? Uh, School films are generally about kids not fitting in at school. Uh, If a British public school, that means that means private school in the sixties. Okay, so the name of the movie is If. Oh yeah, Malcolm McDowell, of course. This is classic. Okay, great. Um, Two boys and their respective boyfriend and girlfriend hate the pompous public school system, and so to take revenge on the teachers and cowardly cadet master, seal. Uh, WW2 Bren and Sten guns, uh, World War II Bren and Sten guns, and carry out a massacre, which were much more socially acceptable back then. There's a great gun battle at the end involving an old woman and a bishop. Yeah, this is like a, a before Columbine was really dead, you know, was creepy and it happened. This is like before school shootings were a big deal. We could make a movie oh, about it called If. Wow. Uh, uh, so Taps, it, Taps is kind of the slightly cleaned oh, up Jesus. American version I didn't even of think of taps. Yeah. God damn. So if, if is a more uh, British, meaner-spirited version uh, of taps. All right. So Simon uh, Simon says, if you haven't seen it, here's the final scene, and badly dubbed in Spanish that he gives us a link to. Uh, next is Kes. K-E-S. A Ken Loach film about working-class life this time in a school, a kid finds a kestrel and steals a book to train it. The best scene is where each of the kids has to go and see the employment counselor to be effectively told their fate. Yeah, I don't know this movie at all. I don't either, but thank you, Simon, for putting it on a radar. And then Simon's uh, next one is Akira. A film mostly about two guys shouting at each other, shouting each other's names. Not a film. This is, a, this is a cartoon, by the way. Not a film. <laughs> but at the end, there's a flashback to when they met at school that reminds both characters that they are really friends all along. I like the scene because it adds a layer of humanity to what is otherwise teenage absurdity. Uh, I'd be interested to hear how many of your choices are not about Misfits School. Akira. All right. No, thank you, Simon. Uh, next, we have T.J. Keller. Uh, number three, Chicken Little, 2005 Disney. Also not uh, a film, a cartoon. <laughs> the dodgeball scene in the gym. Up to this point in the movie, the audience has only been with Chicken Little, but in the popular versus unpopular dodgeball game, we are shown all the main characters and given some nice insight into their relationships. Number two, Iron Giant. Well, the main character is doodling pictures of the middleman in class. <laughs> doodling. All right, that's made okay. Look, that makes me think of something else. But anyway, <laughs> T.J. Keller's number two, Iron Giant. Sorry, I apologize, T.J. Uh, doodling pictures of the middleman in class. The teacher t- teacher is showing a duck and cover video modeled after the real video shown to school children in the fifties. 
Uh, and number one, Grave of the Fireflies. Also a cartoon? 1988. Uh, Shinsuke Company and Studio Ghibli, directed by uh, Iso Takahara. Uh, the section of Tokyo they live in has been burned down, and Seda ha- and his much younger sister, um, uh, Setsuko, uh, or Setsuko, sorry, are in the bare play area of the school. Setsuko is crying because she isn't allowed to see her mother, who, unbeknownst to Setsuko, has been hardly burnt in the bombings. In a few moments, uh, Seta pops up from the ground and tells Setsuko to watch him. He jumps up to a high bar and begins doing a forward spin that he must have learned in Syed. Uh, the scene really leaves me with a hollow feeling, and it's the tone for the downward spiral of the rest of the movie. So this is Grave of the Fireflies. I've never seen that. Uh, so, uh, anyway, uh, T.J. Keller says, thank you for the podcast. Thank you, T.J. Uh, next we have um, Arthur Joe Vanangeli. Uh, number three, Donnie Darko. Drew Barrymore instructs a classroom that includes Jake Gyllenhaal and eventually Jenna Malone. They, distra- they discuss a short story, and Barrymore bluntly calls out a student for not reading it. Uh, number two, The Incredibles. Dash and his mom are called to the principal's office, where Dash's teacher accuses him of play- placing tacks on his chair. Unfortunately for the teacher, the video evidence he has is not as convincing as he thinks it is. And number one... Hey, wait, real per- quick. Uh, Go ahead. I'd be curious, in Donnie Darko, what is the short story? Because obviously I would think Richard Kelly would make it somehow relevant to the movie. Uh, I remember um, I remember her reading a poem, but I don't remember the short story. Okay, Because it's like we've talked about before. Anytime like, a book is brought up or a professor is giving a lecture in the background or whatever, it's usually going to be relevant to something in the movie. So I'd be curious what that was in Donnie Darko. All right, well, what was his number one? Sorry to cut you off. Uh, that, that's quite right. Um, uh, then number one is Perks of Being a Wallflower. Did you see that? I didn't. Uh, I did see Diary of a Wimpy Kid, though. So I've got that going for me. <laughs> okay, good. Um, uh, Ezra Miller that's is good. ganged up on by some football goons while in the school cafeteria. Logan Lerman's Oh, look and Lerman, wow. Reaction to the incident is not shown on camera, but the aftermath is startling. Who's Logan Lerman? Um, Logan Lerman is that, that dude who was in... Um, I know he was in the, uh, the the Lightning Thief movies, but we saw him in something else. Oh, God, what did we see Logan Lerman in? Darn it. Oh no, we 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 had to do him. I think we had to do his one of his movies when uh, when we were doing the podcast with just me and Kelly. But he, I don't so remember. He's the guy in Perks of Being a Wallflower. The yeah. Golden Age. Oh, for some reason, I thought I was confusing. I thought because Diary of a Wimpy Kid is about like much younger kids. I thought Perks of Being a Wallflower might have been about super young kids as well. But I haven't seen it, so. Uh, Kelly, we're Kelly doing. Backwards. Yeah, Kelly, we're doing reader submissions now. So. That's cool. Uh, real quick, Kelly, give us your uh, your number two and your number one choices for favorite school scenes, so I can fill in the form the paperwork here. My number two was the faculty, John Stewart's finger, with Jordana Brewster, mm-hmm. and also my number one was the speeches in the gym scene in election. 
I thought those were pretty figured, pretty good. All right, good. All right, sorry, so go ahead. All right, so next we have uh, Jaime right. Cabrera. Uh, best school scenes, salutations. Hope this week finds you all well. Um, number three, Lucas. Oh wow, Lucas. Uh. Uh, spoiler alert: in the cinem- in the climactic scene of the movie, Lucas manages to get off the bench, and in the actual football game, just when it seems that he is going to save the day, he drops the ball, literally, and then proceeds to get tackled almost to death again, literally. I remember watching this movie as a kid and it being the first time I had seen the protagonist of a story fail miserably. Made an impression on me. Wait, isn't... Man. I'm confusing Luca, just like I was confusing Diary of a Wimpy Kid and uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower. Which one is Rudy? I'm confusing Rudy and Lucas. Rudy is the one with one of the hobbits. Okay. Yeah, Sam. Who's in Lucas? Corey Haim, brah. And Charlie Sheen's the jock and... He gets to have sex with Carrie Russell, and Lucas wow. gets. Uh, I really, I involved. remember really, really liking Lucas when I saw it. You I guys mean, are quite the uh, Lucas uh, authority and apologist, respectively. By the way, it kind of bummed me out. Lucas kind of gets fucked over a lot. Plus, he's poor, so he has to lie to uh, the cheerleader. And I live at the mansion over there. Corey Haim is the less annoying of the two Corys, right? Yeah, and he's super nerdy on it. But before he decided he was cool, and Shia LaBeoufed out, kind of. Yeah. All right. Feldman would have been better in the role. You heard me, Dingus. Do you agree with that? <laughs> yes, I agree. Feldman. Uh, I'm Carrera's number two choice is E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Uh, yeah. Where Elliot saved the frogs is one of the first Let's ones see. I thought of when you mentioned the topic. It's a weird scene whose purpose of establishing the link between Elliot and E.T. went over my head when I first watched it again as a kid. Oh, and I loved that in this scene, he had to step on the back of a bigger kid to kiss the girl. See? That's what you got to do. He was fat, though. See, the fat kid, he doesn't get his movie. (laughs) And Jaime Cabrera's number one is a and is Back to the Future. Uh, George McFly finally grows a pair in Dex Biff, a uh, classic scene from a classic <laughs> series of movies. To be so fair, the scene occurs in the parking lot of the high school, but I figured since it was at the school dance, it would qualify. Technically, it is on school property. That's true. Yeah, uh, that's why I couldn't have any Bad News Bears stuff, even though that shit's pretty... Uh, pretty runner-up, uh, Bueller, Bueller... And sign calling mm-hmm. and Oh wait, would that then mean that the the climactic scene at the end of Carrie counts? The gym's part of property. School. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, if I'd known that, I might have done a different list. <laughs> that seems de- too depressing. I would have picked the tampon one because it's kind of fun and flirty. What? They throw tampons at her. <sighs> All right. So moving on, this is Fraser Wilson. <laughs> Hello, lads. Number three, Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> what? An ex-Jedi slaughters a bunch of children. No, they're not children. Oh, they're younglings. Good. They're the younglings. At, yeah. at their school. With so it totally counts. It's an interesting scene because it's preceded by the lamest fall to evil I've ever seen on film and therefore hasn't earned the emotional impact, which it's clearly going for. I wish the prequels had been more Godfather and less Flash Gordon. 
Uh, Frazier Wilson's yeah. number two is I watch Grease again for the first time in years because my two-year-old likes musicals. And what I noticed for the first time is how dirty it is yeah. and how the characters are all almost universally unsympathetic, except yes. Soccer Channing, because she <laughs> is awesome. I'm curious about how Americans feel about the school culture shown in the movie. It's not something a New Zealander, for example, can relate to very well. And Fraser Wilson's number one movie, I got nothing. Difficult topic. I was going to suggest the school scene from Meaning of Life, but then you guys would just be throwing quotes around for the rest of the show. Oh, thanks, for, example, thanks for sparing us. You know. Yeah, is uh, Breakfast Club, I suppose. Cheers, Fraser. Oh, my God. I, but, I suspected uh, he was from some place that was ruled over by the Queen of England when he called us lads. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Yeah. All right, so Paul Weimer is next. Uh, Three favorite school scenes. Number three, a tiny flashback scene in The Truman Show uh, has our hero, as an elementary school student, declare that he wants to be an explorer like the Great Magellan. The teacher brazenly declares, sorry, there's nothing really left to explore, an indication of just how controlling and twisted the world within the show is. Uh, Paul's number two is in Pleasantville, when the protagonists have been transported into the world of the television program, the classroom lesson on the impossible geography of Pleasantville indicates to the viewer and the characters themselves that Reese Witherspoon and Toby Maguire are clearly in a stranger place than they imagined. And Paul's number one is there are many great scenes in The Breakfast Club, but I will pick an early one, John Judd Nelson going through Brian Anthony Michael Hall's lunchbox with hilarious commentary back and forth between them. So what are we having for lunch? So that's Paul Weimer. All right, you guys name a movie in which the characters watch The Breakfast Club. What? Uh, Grey Lady Down. Can you do it, Dingus? In which the characters watch a breakfast No, I can't. Really, Dingus? Come on. Sorry. I'm Wait, disappointed in you for not remembering uh, Pitch Perfect more clearly. Oh, what? Jesus. When do they watch Breakfast Club? Uh, it's one of, uh, what's his name, Skylar Aston, or the, 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 the uh, Anna Kendrick's boyfriend. He's mentioning like movies with perfect soundtracks. And he mentions uh, Breakfast Club. Does he say Jaws? Uh, but he mentions Breakfast Club, and she's like, I don't think I've ever seen that. And they watch The Breakfast Club together. And then at the end... Uh, you know, the, the ending of Breakfast Club, there's even a shot of, of her watching the end of it when, when they have their obligatory, hey, we're going to break up for part of the movie. But she watches the end of Breakfast Club and, and thinks fondly of him. Jaws is like Breakfast Club because it's like the orc is like the detention room and Quint's like that guy, Jed Gleason. Uh, Dingus, you should see this movie Pitch Perfect at some point. You might like it. <laughs> okay, I'll get right on that. Hooper's the Judd Nelson. All right, next we have uh, Rob Favre. Hi, guys. I have just one scene I want to mention for this week, which is Mr. Turpentine's science class in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's great that Mr. Turpentine tells Charlie... This is actually a good one. I like this. Uh, It's great that Mr. Turpentine tells Charlie to handle nitric acid without any sort of gloves or goggles. But what I really love is that he's mixing it with a special mixture of his own. 
that he never reveals to the students, thus ensuring that there's absolutely no possibility that any of them can possibly learn anything other than mixing things sometimes makes them explode. At least the outcome is the finest wart remover in the world. So that's something. Thanks, guys, and keep up the good work. That's the Gene Wilder one he's talking about, not the Johnny Depp one, right? Right, yeah, okay. Willy Wonka is the Gene Mr. Turpentine? Uh, I just, I, I, one of the things I love about the Willy Wonka uh, classroom scene is how the teacher just totally negates whatever the kid says. Like, oh, no, I don't, I don't like that answer. Give me a different answer. That's, that's, uh, not, that's bad teaching. Uh, it's like, bad. Right, right, don't do that, teachers. What? All right, next we have Nick D. Hi, guys. Number three, election. Uh, I love the scene where Mr. McAllister tries to teach Paul, Metz, Paul Metzler about, about democracy. Fruits. <laughs> I, I, do love, I do love this scene. Try, I'm sorry. Tries to teach Paul Metzler about democracy by explaining the difference between apples and oranges and just draws a bunch of circles in the blackboard. Yeah. Paul caps the scene by saying, I also like bananas. <laughs> And that's democracy. This is me. I think what I, I think what Ms. McAllister says is that's democracy. When he says, "I also yeah," like Nader's the banana, <laughs> and Romney's the apple. Uh, Nick D's second choice is School of Rock. Uh, Jack Black is doing his same old goofy shtick, but for whatever reason, it works beautifully with Linklater's laid-back style. There are a lot of classroom scenes in the movie, but I think my favorite is the one where Jack Black has the kids get up to play their instruments for the first time. His excitement and amazement at the kids' skill, particularly at Lawrence, the nerdy pianist who plays the doors, are completely infectious. And so Nick, Nick's number one is Donnie Darko. Hmm. This is a scene where Donnie's puritanical teacher, played by Beth Grant, tries to make Donnie participate in a ridiculous exercise involving practicing scenarios in a lifeline between love and fear. Donnie doesn't understand the point of the exercise and starts getting frustrated. He takes a breath and cuts to the principal's office, where we find out just what Donnie said to his teacher. Nice. That is a good one. I remember that scene. Followed by a stifled smirk from his dad, Holmes Osborne. I love the comic timing of the scene, particularly because it's exactly what I wanted to say to the Martinets who taught me in high school. Practicing uh, scenarios was the guy who played the Joker on TV's Batman, by the way. And we have one more. This is from Chris Markinson. Hey, guys. Here are my three favorite school scenes. While I don't have any scenes that take place in the classroom... I did make sure that all my choices at least take place inside of a school. See, I thought there was something about being in a classroom. Uh, Number three. But I've got him now, and I'm not going to let him slip through my fingers. In Porky's, after catching one of the boys exposing himself through a peephole in the girl's shower, the girl's gym teacher goes to the principal's office to ask for a lineup of five boys naked, including the boy she believes was behind the wall, as the offending member had a mole on it that she can identify. Ew. While it's a juvenile scene, I remember almost crying when I watched it as a teenager because I was laughing so hard and the three gym teachers in the background cracking up while listening to the conversation with the principal made it memorable scene. 
so <laughs> you're laughing at the teacher. Chris is number two. Uh, she's gone. Can't raise her? No, I can't. In the movie Brick, after oh Brick, damn it. Um, in the movie Brick, after finding his former girlfriend Emily dead in a storm drain, Brendan goes to the school library where he meets his oh Jesus, Chris. All right, where he meets with his friend Brian. The two talk about what the next step is, and Brendan starts to formulate his plan to find out the truth and get some justice. What I really love about the scene is the continued use of noir-esque language and the look of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's face during the scene. That's great. And, Wait, that's, uh, that makes me think that the exchange at the end on the football field. Uh, what did she say? She called me a dirty word. Right, right. That bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, Chris. Uh, Chris is number one. I see you're drinking 1%. Is that because you think you're fat? In Napoleon Dynamite, Napoleon, <laughs> Napoleon sits down at the same lunch table as his girlfriend to be, as his girlfriend to be, sorry, and opens with a comment about 1% milk and how she could be drinking whole milk if she wanted to. He then asks the girl to get her equipment from his locker because he can't fit his nunchucks in there anymore. What really makes the scene awesome for me, though, is that all through the conversation at the table, the girl, played by Tina Majorino, has a piece of her sandwich stuck to her upper lip. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks as always, Chris. So that's it. That's all we have. Guys, uh, do you have any runners-up? So glad no one mentioned Dead Poet Society. I'm sure we were going to get a few people bringing that yeah. Oh, Tom Chick, my Tom Chick. Oh, God. Thank you, Kelly Wand. Too soon. I had zapped. Of course you did, Kelly Wand. Just FYI. Kelly Wand, so. uh, let me check out your chest. Uh, check out your test. Wow. Oh, that's a good one. Ellie Klimper is, is, uh, is, Kemper is uh, Channing Tatum's teacher in 21 Jump Street. Yep. Forgetting that was a school. Uh, um, it's the oh, it's yeah. the poem. I, I know. I, I keep. I'm really bothered by this Donnie Darko thing because I know. Um, I know. I've seen a picture of uh, Drew Barrymore with a poem written behind her on the chalkboard. Uh, Kelly Wand, you. This is when you had left us, but someone mentioned uh, there's a there's a point in Donnie Darko where someone gets in trouble for not either not reading a short story or poem, and we were wondering what is the poem or short story. Because Richard Kelly, who directed Donnie Darko, would obviously pick something that somehow relates to the plot. So, do you know what we're thinking of, Kelly Wand? Uh, something by T.S. Eliot. It is. It, I, I know. I know it's T.S. Eliot. Oh, it's got to be the. It's either Wasteland or Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Then those are the only I, two. I think it's Prufrock. Yeah, I think it is. Because yeah. because I'm almost certain that the words behind her, like uh, ha, like cellar door, or, there's something behind her. Uh, I I don't remember. I don't know, but I I think it is T.S. Eliot. Do you guys remember what the uh, so in in the movie Hesher, also Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, early on there's the the lecture in, in class about uh, dreams manifesting themselves, ah. and then Hesher comes into play later in the movie. It's kind of a clue to his identity. But do you remember what that was relating to? Was it Midsummer Night's Dream? No. Okay. Remember. Well, Hesher has one of those also. It's a classroom scene, and it's important because it's a clue to what you're going to see later in the movie. Uh, I don't read works of fiction about dreams. Pardon, Kelly Wand? You what? I don't read works of fiction about dreams. 
Hmm. All right. Well, that's you're gonna miss out on some cool things like Midsummer Night's Dream and Flatliners. Uh, what no, you ask? The, the the teacher reading something always reminds me of uh, Paul Giamatti reading a separate piece. And um, oh, uh, Sideways, right? That's right. And the completely un. Well, are the kids uninterested, or was it? They seem to be totally bored by it. Yeah. To Die For has got some funny shit in it, doesn't it? With school, where she's doing. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, uh, Kelly Watt, what do you have for us for next week, 3x3, three three, and uh, tell the listeners what it is and how they can participate? Three best tantrums! It's a great topic, and uh, that's probably why we've done it before, because it was a great topic. Do you have one that yeah. we haven't done? Three best uh, statues. Haven't done that one. Go on. Tell the listeners how they can uh, like. Oh, send it if in. you have a, if you have a statue you'd like to submit to the contest, submit it to three x three at quarter to three dot com, and we'll read them probably on the podcast. Now you just said it's a contest. I'd like to stress this is not a contest. There are no prizes. <laughs> we do not have prizes for you. They're all winners. It's a contest where everyone's a winner. So it's like a lottery, like a Shirley Jackson lottery kind of. Uh, and Kelly, uh, tell the folks what we're seeing next week. Next week, we're seeing Poltergeist. No, we're not. Oh, yeah, we're seeing Spy. The I just This is like the ninth Melissa McCarthy movie we've done. It's like by chance, when we started doing the podcast, whoever got famous then gets like way more promotion from us. We should I think we've seen two of her movies. Tammy, Bridesmaids. Uh, you may guess you're right. Go on. What's the, what's the thing she did with Jason Bateman? Was that Tammy? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, no, that was Identity no, no, Thieves. That it was... worked, Tom. Right, right. So three. We didn't see Tammy. That's three. We, we didn't see Tammy. We did a we podcast did. on it. Tammy's the uh, one where she goes on a road trip with Susan Sarandon and is her grandma. Yeah, Jason Kathy Bateman Bates. is the one where... What? Kathy Bates. Kathy Bates. They have well, a Kathy lesbian. Bates is the lesbian they 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 visit later, but, but Susan Sarandon oh, plays right. her grandma. Yeah. Oh, holy cats. I thought those were the same movie. But then Identity Thief, I know, they kind of run together, don't they? Identity Thief Identity is the one with Thief. Jason Bateman. Yeah, uh, and he hits her with a guitar, and Dingus got upset about it, but I thought it was funny, because I like <laughs> it with guitars. What's the one where she gets fired by her husband, uh, Ben Falco? That's Tammy. That is Tammy, okay. right. And then she, she, she spits on all the burgers. Oh, right, yeah, that's Tammy, right. That's why we're rooting for her to succeed. That could be like a quiz, like, like say a scenario, and then the, you have to guess whether it's from Tammy or Identity Thief. Tammy, it's the same scene as Identity Thief, but it's not a joke. It's serious. Right. We're supposed to feel bad for her. All right, so next week we'll be seeing Spy. Join us for that. Send us for uh, three by three of your favorite statues, whatever's going on there. We'll read that on the air. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I've been joined by Christian Mokrowski. It's Christian Mokrowski. And we had Kelly Wand. Hedge mazes count as statues. <laughs>